Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Morning on this Thursday, the 29th of December, 2022. I am Carmen LaBerge. This is a best of show here during Christmas week. Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Thank you so much for including me in your day. Our growing your faith verse of the day comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So these are the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. So we're talking now about first generation Christianity to second generation Christianity in the first century of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we're talking about those who put their faith in Christ. Some of them, after having, well, participated in the persecution of the church, in fact, the hunting down and even the stoning unto death of the first Christians. So that's part of what's going on here contextually when you hear the Apostle Paul describe himself twice as the worst among sinners. And so let's unpack this a little bit because he says here, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And it's one thing for Paul to be saying that to Timothy in the first century. It's another thing for you and I to receive that some 20 centuries later. So why trust this self-declared trustworthy saying? Like why trust this Bible verse? Why trust what Paul says here? And why accept it? Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That's what Paul says. Well, How come? Why should we? The biblical manuscripts have actually been reliably transmitted from the authors to today. And so if you're looking for um, trustworthiness in terms of veracity, like we can actually prove that this these are the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy transmitted faithfully, even though written 2000 years ago, transmitted faithfully over time. Yeah, we can absolutely verify that fact. And the books of the Bible including 2 Timothy, these are the ones that the early followers of Jesus considered authoritative. And so when you think about the list of books that ends up in the canon of Scripture, which is that's all it is, the list of books, you can affirm that, look, these are the books that the first Christians received and accepted as authoritative. And then that's confirmed over time through councils of the church. And so I would say, you know, if you want to do some research into that, I would welcome it. This is one of those examinations that has been done by every um, skeptor and doubter over time. And here's the reality. If this is something you're skeptical about and this is something you doubt, the veracity of Scripture, um, I have no doubt that through your discovery process, you're going to find this to be trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. 
And so what is it that Paul says is deserving of full acceptance? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So do you fully accept that? What does it mean to fully accept that Jesus is the Christ and that he came into the world to save sinners? It means that we put our faith right there. We believe that Jesus is the son of the living God, God in flesh. And yes, we believe that he is the savior of the world, that that is the reason for which he came. And then to understand why Paul describes himself as chief among sinners or the worst of sinners, we need to know a little bit more about Paul's own life experience. So let me remind you that Paul is the young man standing holding the coats in the description in the book of Acts of the stoning of Stephen. Paul's standing there holding the coats. We also know from um, the testimony of Paul that he is on his way to Damascus with letters authorizing him to round up the Christians there and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. Paul is actually hunting down Christians when he has this life-changing encounter with the living God in the person of Christ on the road to Damascus. And, And then there's this question, has God really used Paul? Yeah, God has used Paul. It helps us to know that a sinner like Paul can be saved, was saved and testifies to the power of salvation. How has God used Paul's testimony as a display of grace to people uh, over 2,000 years? Like, how has God used Paul's testimony as a display of grace to people who otherwise may have thought to themselves, God could never save me? So here's really the question. Do you believe in Jesus? Have you received the gift that God offers in Jesus of eternal life? I hope that with Paul, you can say, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Well, we are fast approaching the end of the year. We are in the midst of the 12 days of Christmas. People are thinking about their year-end giving. I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so already, to make your year-end gift at MyFaithRadio.com. You can always text the word GIVE to 877-933-2484. I want to um, revisit um, the one-day winter fundraiser that we had Um, back in November. And I want to say thank you one more time to each and every person who participated on that day. Um, We had a little bit of fun in in our time together on air, launching the day, and Brian checked in from Minneapolis um, to serve as our first day of Christmas exemplar. And so I referred to him as our partridge in a pear tree. And then we did the second day of Christmas, and we had a friend in Gillette, Wyoming, check in as turtle, and then Sarah in Waterloo checked in as dove. Instead of two turtle doves, we had a turtle and a dove. And then we had three French hens, and I want to say thank you again to Barbara in Cottage Grove, Mary in Fargo, and Beth in Egan for being our three French hens during our one-day winter fundraiser in my little 12 Days of Christmas Challenge. Now, you can see where this is going. 
So thank you to our four calling birds, Carolyn in Moorhead, Michelle in Sioux Falls, Susan in Jay, Florida, and Mary from I don't know where, but I bet you know who you are and where you're from. That takes us to our five golden rings. Michael checked in from Massachusetts, an anonymous friend in Austin, Texas, Tracy in Cottage Grove, and Christy in Mandan. Beth came in as our fifth golden ring from Lakeville. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you then to our six geese allaying. We had uh, Christian in St. Mary's and Christine. We had Tim from Stillwater, a friend in Ames, Iowa, Deborah in Madison, Wisconsin, and then a friend um, finally joining us from Fort Mount Forest, Ontario, because after all, during our six geese allaying segment, we were we were looking for one Canadian goose. So thank you so much, uh, Sandy, for being that. Cheryl then checked in from Minneapolis as our first swan a-swimming. Tom and Gail from Madison joined her, as did Sherry in Rutherfordton, North Carolina. Lillian in Knoxville, Tennessee. Verlin from Laverne, Minnesota. An anonymous friend in Cannon Falls, uh, Minnesota. And then a friend in Brooklyn Center as well. Which took us to our eight maids a-milking. Thank you to Stephanie and then Josh from Superior, Wisconsin. A friend in Woodville, Wisconsin. Uh, Greg in Orleans, Massachusetts, Terry in Hartford, Connecticut, Becky in Barnesville, Minnesota, an anonymous friend in Minnetonka, and then Carol joined us as well. That took us to our nine ladies dancing, and let me just say, they actually were all ladies, which I kind of appreciate. When we get to the Lords of Leaping, there's going to be some women leaping among the Lords, so there you go. But our nine ladies dancing checked in. Again, this was in our one-day winter fundraiser, and I just wanted to circle back around and say thank you one more time. To Gail in Minnesota, Mary Lou, Judy, and Megan all checked in, and they checked in so quickly I didn't write down the towns that they're from, but I bet you know who you are. Marlene joined us from Eden Prairie, Gloria from St. Paul, Minnesota, Leanne from Sioux Falls, Susan in Somerset, Wisconsin, and then Kim in Deerfield. I don't know if that's uh, which Deerfield that is because I don't have a state, Um, but she's the one who said, come on, let's go be shiny. So thank you so much to each one of our ladies dancing. That took us to our 10 Lords of Leaping, leading off with Glenn and Dave, joined by Linda in Sioux Falls, Anne in Excelsior, Minnesota, Sharon in Superior, Wisconsin, Tim in Sun Prairie, Irma in Breckenridge, Carol in Landon, uh, North Dakota. Paul checked in, um, as did Cheryl from Wolverton, Minnesota. And then uh, we had our 11 Pipers piping. I don't actually have 11 names down here, which means I completely lost count. But I know that we had a Peter, Andrew, James, and John. I don't know where you were from, but thank you so much because the 11 Pipers piping is a nod to the 11 Apostles. We also had Mary from Madison, Nicole checked in, Kenneth from Ellington, Connecticut, Philip in Circle Pines, Nancy in Oregon, Wisconsin, and Angelica in Des Moines, Iowa, which led us finally, drum roll please, to our 12 drummers drumming. And this is in the spirit of bring your gift, whatever gift it is that God has placed in your hands and desires that you would release back to him as an act of gratitude and thanksgiving for the gift he has given you in Jesus Christ Come forward, little drummer boy or little drummer girl, with your best gift. And we had a friend do that from Gardner, Kansas, and then Lori from West Simsbury, Connecticut, joined by Diane in Newington, Connecticut, Rob from Oakdale, Minnesota, Steve from um, Granger, Indiana, Teresa then joined us from Hudson, Wisconsin, Susan in Spearfish, South Dakota, Nathaniel in Baxter, Minnesota, 
Wes joined us from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Robert from Burnsville. Sue, um, mm-hmm, I think that's, I can't even, oh, Saginaw, Michigan. I'm like, I can't read my own writing here at the bottom of the page. And Mary in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, came in as our 12th drummer drumming. We had hundreds of people who joined us in our one-day winter fundraiser. I just wanted to say thank you one more time to those of you who participated um, in my little 12 days of Christmas portion of the day. It's always so much fun to hear from you, to know that um, you are with us in this ministry. It's it's a ministry that wouldn't happen without you, and we wouldn't want to do it without you. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We are going to, um, here in just a moment, return to our unwrapping the spiritual gifts that come by the power of the Holy Spirit who enters our lives when we believe in Jesus and receive him. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Sign up for the free Bible in a Year reading plan at MyFaithRadio.com and get everything you need to follow the plan each day and stay on track, including a printed schedule. Sign up now at MyFaithRadio.com. Love is patient. Love is kind. Never jealous. Free of pride. All right, but we have been unwrapping the spiritual gifts that come with the gift of God's Holy Spirit in our lives, and we arrive now at the spiritual gift of hospitality. You could look in 1 Peter 4, verses 9 and 10, or in Romans 12, verse 13, um, in terms of the biblical discussions of hospitality as a spiritual gift. Or you could just think of, I don't know, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who show such lavish hospitality to Jesus and his disciples. You could think of um, whoever it is that hosted them in the upper room as a person possessed of the gift of hospitality. You could certainly think of Lydia in Acts 16 as a person manifesting this particular spiritual gift. Um, People who have the spiritual gift of hospitality are fond of guests. They like strangers um, and they make friends of them. So by definition, this uh, spiritual gift of hospitality, it, it is a supernatural ability given by God to express care and friendliness to to guests, to strangers, to wayfarers, providing relationship, reaching out, supplying food and drink, and even a place to stay. So when you think about um, how much joy it gives you to host people in your home, you might consider that you may have the gift of hospitality. Now, I will say that it's more than just creating an environment where people feel cared for and honored. That's certainly a part of it. It's the real genuine embrace of visitors and guests, quickly making people feel at home. Do you have that uh, gift, that ability? Do you quickly make people feel like they're right at home, like they belong at your table in your home, um, seated next to you as the honored guest? Do you know how to create a safe and comfortable setting where relationships can flourish? I want to celebrate the people this season who have the gift of hospitality, and I want to encourage you to express your gift more and more and more, because I I find that the opportunity to sit down at table together where Christ can be made known among us in the breaking of the bread, um, that is something in the culture today that has tremendous power, tremendous power. And so those possessed of the gift of hospitality, I want to see you find new ways to express your spiritual gift in the year ahead. Maybe you have the gift of intercession. Now, again, the spiritual gift of intercession does not alleviate all the rest of us from interceding. Each and every one of us as Christians are responsible to be praying for one another. But there are people who are, they are blessed to have the gift of intercession. They plead on behalf 
um, of others before God. They stand in the gap. They literally intercede. It's a supernatural ability to mediate in the place of prayer on behalf of others. I have described to you um, my physical posture of intercession, where I put the name of a person in my cupped hands. I want you to think of cupping your hands together like you would if you were going to bend down to a stream to uh, get a, uh, you know, to get a handful of cold water. All right. I want you to think about cupping your hands together like that. And then I want you to think of putting that person by using their name, putting that person by name in your cupped hands and lifting that up before the Lord. Your head is bowed. Your eyes are closed. Your hands are cupped. And in them, you lift up this person who needs God to do for them what they cannot do for themselves, what none of us could do for them. Um, to heal a wound, to supply for a need, to alleviate a pain, whatever it is. Do you have the spiritual gift of intercession? Are you compelled by the Spirit of the living God to pray earnestly regarding others? Are you aware of the spiritual battles being waged every single day, and do you pray into those? Is prayer your first response? Is it your first instinct to pray? then maybe you have the spiritual gift of intercession. If so, you might want to look at Abraham's prayer um, regarding Sodom and Gomorrah as inspiration for how people of faith intercede. Maybe you could think of Moses interceding for Israel in Exodus 32, or the way Daniel intercedes in chapters 9 and 10 of of his prophetic book. That brings us to um, the spiritual gift of leadership. I'm doing these alphabetically so that I can stay organized, if you're wondering. If you're wondering, how is Carmen uh, organizing her thoughts? Um, I'm, I'm uh, doing this um, alphabetically. The alphabet tends to work for me because then I can keep it in order. So the gift of leadership. <clears throat> it's also known as the gift of ruling. And so this is not the kind of ruling that um, lords it over others, likes to take credibility, like, right, likes to, you know, be seen as the leader. No, no, that's actually not the spiritual gift of leadership. When we talk about the spiritual gift of leadership, we're talking about a willingness and an ability to stand before, to preside, um, to rule, but not to do so in a way that dishonors God. It's the supernatural ability to lead a group of people in the accomplishment of God's purposes together. You want your pastor to have this gift. You want them, you want a pastor who's able to see ahead where others don't and then lead accordingly into that future. You want a pastor who knows how to cast a vision and provide direction and create structures for the accomplishing of various tasks, and a pastor who knows that all of those tasks are not his responsibility, that the body is necessary, and that every member of the body has spiritual gifts designed to build up the body of Christ. So I want you to be praying for your pastor today and those in pastoral leadership and other congregations, and that God would bestow anew upon them as we enter in this new year, God would give them um, the spiritual gift of leadership. Would you do that as well for our leaders here at Faith Radio? I know Carissa Rogers um, would love to know that you're praying that she be given this spiritual gift of leadership. The gift of mercy. I put a smiley face next to this one. I love the people who have the spiritual gift of mercy, compassion in both word and deed, the supernatural ability that's given by God to relieve people of their suffering by very practical expressions of compassion coming alongside. 
So let me ask you, <clears throat> are you attracted to and attracted and attractive to attracted to like, do you like to draw near to and are you attractive to do they like you to draw near to them hurting people? Are you attracted to hurting people and are hurting people attracted to you? If so, it's quite possible you have the spiritual gift of mercy. Are you able to identify with people's um, challenges, their emotions, and empathize with them? Do you have an unusual desire to express love in tangible ways to people who are helpless and hopeless? Yeah, that's a spiritual gift. And we want you um, to be encouraged in the expression of that spiritual gift and unwrap it among us in the year to come. That takes us to the spiritual gift of shepherding, also known as pastoring. It's the shepherding of a flock, and it is the supernatural ability given by God to tend to and guide a group of people towards spiritual maturity and God's purposes. Who shepherds your heart? And how are you shepherding others? How are you expressing care for the flock committed to you? And how are you encouraging your pastor as he shepherds the flock. Ezekiel 34 is a good place to look for cautionary tales related to shepherding. Um, and then obviously Jesus as the good shepherd in John 10 and 1 Peter 5, good places to look for Jesus as the model of this particular spiritual gift. All right, we'll pick up um, tomorrow in this conversation as we unwrap the spiritual gifts that come with the Holy Spirit of the living God. The next one up is prophetic ministry. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. When you think about how you serve God in the world today, you know, what is that, um, what is that mixture of gifts, talents, abilities, um, interests, maybe your acquired skills, things that you are naturally good at, passions that God has given you, the things that God has exposed you to, um, that you've had opportunity to, um, explore and, and do. Like when you think about all of the things that you do, maybe, maybe when you think about what you do vocationally, how do you do it as unto the Lord? I mean, we know from Scripture that we're supposed to do everything as unto the Lord. What does it mean to do what you do each and every day as unto the Lord? Nathaniel Marshall wanted to be a pastor, but in fact, he's a plumber. How is Nathaniel plumbing unto the Lord? That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Nate Marshall tweeted last night, hey, if you don't have anything better to do, I'm going to be on the radio with Carmen LeBurge. So, hey, everybody listening right now, apparently you don't have anything better to do. But many of you are in your trucks headed to work. Um, the guys that are going to build things and fix things and um, the women who are going to treat and heal and teach things. Good morning to each and every one of you. Nate Marshall joins us now. And instead of becoming a pastor... 
He ministers as a plumber. Nate, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, really a delight to be here. I um I have a beloved plumber in my life um and he comes to my aid when I am the most desperate and help has to come from the outside like it's one of the most incarnational ministries I can imagine. Yeah, well the, sort of what I part of how I conceptualize what I do is that there's been a, a rift in the relationship between a homeowner and their safe place. The the relationship is broken and so I get to come in and help knit that back together. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, I, 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 it's such an admirable um, work. And yet, let's say that you came to this not as a, hey, I'm going to, I want to pursue this. This is my, you know, from the beginning, what I always imagined I would be doing. Your heart's desire was and maybe still is to pastor a congregation. Talk, talk with us mm-hmm. about how you ended up being a plumber. Yeah, well, it's, it's a pretty, long winding backstory but the the sum of it is that i i ended up on the same day getting a call from both the plumbing company that i ended up working for and a and a church actually uh, offering me a part-time position on staff as a pastor and in that moment i was not it, like within 20 minutes of each other i got both of these calls and it was one of those things where i had to decide really in that moment what is the wise decision and what is the one that is going to in in terms of longevity what is going to be the one that is going to allow me to provide for my family because i'm married and i've got i've got a young child at this time and uh, if i figured if a, if a season of ministry came to an end unexpectedly um what was i going to do go back to a 12 dollar an hour customer service job you know i i, I didn't want to put my family potentially in that situation. And so I chose the plumbing uh, out of what I felt was hopefully wisdom, but but I did so with this prayer in my heart and on my lips that God take me into this plumbing season and make me into the kind of person that can ultimately be a pastor in your church if you should choose to call me to that work. Uh, and so it was not an easy decision, but it's been one that I have not regretted making. I feel like, um, and first of all, let me just tell everybody, you can read what Nathaniel Marshall has written about, instead of becoming a pastor, I minister as a plumber. You can read it at Christianity Today. That's where I found it. And I will put links to it in all of the places where you can get the show notes for today um, for easy finding. Um, But one of the things that you talk about here is the value and the need, I think, the value and the need of um, real work as the training ground where Christians are made. Talk with us Mm. about like work, physical work, because let me just tell you, having been to seminary, there is not a, uh, there is not an experience during seminary that looks anything like learning to do something that is hard work in the traditional sense of manual labor. Sure. Yeah. Manual labor. And you know, this isn't, this isn't a secret. This isn't something that like, this isn't some esoteric knowledge. I think it's pretty, evident all throughout human history uh, across religious traditions and especially within our own christian tradition uh, manual labor is often linked with the spiritual life and um so i don't i don't think i've landed anything abnormal here but the the fact is is that there are certain things there's a certain knowledge that our body can can absorb and participate in that our minds have a hard time articulating 
right? There's, there's certain things that our bodies teach us that our minds and our spirits um, aren't so uh, adept to, to learning, to, to absorbing. And so there is a sense in which uh, manual labor, um, one of the things I, I mentioned is that manual labor, when I set out to do, let's say, a water heater, it involves my mind. I, I have cognition that I have to be using. It involves my morals because I have to be humble. I have to be patient. I have to endure. Um, there's this moral quality to it and it involves my body. And I'm also trying to maintain an awareness that God is with me in the work. And so every facet of my being is centered on this one task and that this is a excellent practice, let's say a, a training um, for ultimately what our prayer is to be, which is the centering of my entire self, mind, body, spirit on God in those moments where I am explicitly going before him to pray and giving all of myself to him. And so manual labor is this wonderful opportunity to practice this principle um, so that we can implement it in times of prayer. And I didn't expect to find that. So I I just imagine like right people are inviting you into their home. I mean you know maybe we haven't thought of it that way before. I mean if you're listening right now and you have ever called a plumber or you've ever called an HVAC guy or you've ever called oh an exterminator, um I could go down the list here. The people who come to our aid to who do things um for us that make our house inhabitable again. And the the folks who we invite into our home and as you cross that threshold, Nate, you know, you're operating as an ambassador of the king and the kingdom. And everything you say, even if you're not saying it to me as the homeowner, I assure you it's overheard because I'm mm. anxious about what's happening. I'm anxious not only about, you know, the place where I live, but I'm I'm made anxious by having a stranger in my house, right? And and on and on and on. And so the way that you carry yourself into someone's home and then the way that you carry out your work it's such a ministry it's just incredible and i love that you're lifting it up and helping us see and appreciate people are in ministry regardless of their particular vocation everybody that's a christian is in full-time ministry we just don't often see and recognize it that way yeah absolutely it's it's one of those things where you know, the, the Lord said that when we, anything that you do to the least of these, anything that you do, any service that you render unto your neighbor, he receives as being unto himself. And so if I go into this person's house, this person is no longer faceless, nameless person A or customer 125 or whatever. This is, as far as I'm concerned, this is Jesus. And I don't mean that in some kind of heretical or weird way, but I, I'm just taking the Lord at his own words, right? Like he is in my customer receiving the service that I do as unto him. And, and if he is in fact in my customer in some way that I can't explain, then how am I, how am I going to work for that customer? How am I going to work for my Lord? Am I going to do, am I going to cut corners and, and, and uh, take shortcuts in my work? Or am I going to do my work with excellence? And am I going to treat that person who maybe wants to stand over my shoulder and ask you know, a thousand questions or, or play the game, impress the plumber with, with my, with my plumbing knowledge or whatever, am I going to, you know, shoo them off? Or am I going to receive them 
as Jesus and, and do my best to, to engage with them as if they were Jesus himself. It, it, it really frames uh, all the work that's done. And I think it, ultimately it has, um, it has lasting eternal significance uh, be, precisely because Jesus says that it does. I love, um, Nate, that you are a student of, of the church fathers. And I love that you, that you share um, out of what they have left behind in terms of their written words. Talk with us about what you've learned from um, Basil the Great. Mm, yeah, so he is uh, an incredible writer and um, a, a true pastor, a lover of scripture, an incredible, incredible uh, man. And um, he was one who, I, I won't say that he was the first, but he was maybe one of the one of the first who really explored this idea of um, of the, the connection between in terms of the Christian tradition of manual labor and the spiritual life. And one of the things that he talks about most often is the disposition of the heart. Uh, and so internally, um, because the question comes up it, it, where Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. Okay. But how, <laughs> that's a nice idea, but how do we actually accomplish this? And so what, what Basil does is he, he really explores, um, I don't know that he was setting out to, to systematically explain that all the various ways that this can be done, but I think in his own practice in life, he found that as long as he maintained a disposition of heart uh, in which he was doing what he was doing for the sake of God, um, then the work in some sense becomes prayer itself. Uh, because I, I cannot be, I cannot offer, I can't place in in God's hands, what I uh, what I don't a what I don't have, and b um, I have to be actually in front of God to place it in His hands. And this is what prayer is, right? It's it's a proximal closeness to God, and then I'm placing certain things or or handing over or giving certain things to God: my emotions, my feelings, my circumstances, my pains, my my thanksgivings. Uh, why not my work? My, my work is also something that I'm handing to God. And, uh, and so if I, again, back to Basil, if I maintain that disposition of, of desiring to please God in what I'm doing, sort of somehow remembering that he is with me in what I'm doing, then even my work is prayer. And, um, and so he's, he's a pretty, I would say, a, a central figure for helping us to understand this. Yeah, my, um, my go-to... I mean, I don't even know if he's, a, I wouldn't even call him a church father, but Brother Lawrence from mm. um, the, the late 1800s and, and his, um, his writing on the, the practice of the presence of God and mm. just being focused in every moment, no matter what the labor is before you that you are to do, if it's peeling potatoes or, or cleaning the floor, um, which were some of the menial tasks he was assigned um, he found great joy in each and every one of those moments because in those moments he had the freedom to literally practice the presence of God, like the mm. be, you know, just acknowledge that in this moment I'm in God's presence uninterrupted by anything else in the world because this is what's before me to do right now. Um, I just love that. Yeah. All right, Nate, we got to take a very brief break. When we come back more with Nathaniel Marshall, um, he is a licensed journeyman plumber. He's also a Benedictine ablate. 
Uh, he worships at Christ the King Anglican Church in Marietta, Georgia, um, with his wife and his two daughters. We're going to continue this conversation with Nate in just a moment. Please prayerfully consider making a tax-deductible gift to Faith Radio before the year ends. You can give now by texting the word GIVE to 877-933-2484 or join the support team at MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks a lot. Nothing wrong with a hard hat and a hammer. Kind of blue that sticks this world together. I'm all right. Yeah. Thank you to those of you who are listening. Lots of people texting in right now, um, finding Nate such an encouragement. Um, A friend texting in Nate who says, I absolutely loved um, Chosen season two, episode one, where Jesus stops and repairs a man's cart axle. Um, I'm thinking Mm -hmm. of that while you're talking to Nate, um, right? That nothing, you know, nothing is, um, is, nothing that is a genuine human need is beneath the Lord's willingness to do. Um, and then Barb says, Hey, funny. I just had three guys uh, here yesterday to install a new boiler. There was a lot of manual labor involved in trying to remove the old one. <laughs> and so um, putting, uh, putting what's in your heart and your mind together with what's in your hands, um, such a, such a helpful um, thing to think about. So just on and on, um, lots of folks um, resonating with what we're talking about today. Um, Nate, when when we when we encounter, I'll say people who are in um, trades, so electricians, plumbers, carpenters. I mean, you know, go down the list. Mechanics. I mean, so many people who have these. They're very highly skilled. The things that they do are are technical, certainly beyond my my capacity to do. Um, but I think that there are some assumptions that people make, um, and there is an intellectual arrogance, um, oftentimes that is totally, uh, I mean, it's, it's wrong. It's misplaced. It's, um, it shouldn't be that way. And I guess I'm wondering, do you ever encounter that? Like, because clearly you, you have a lot more theological education than many, many pastors of many, many churches. And so when I think about, well, I guess when I think about like, um, is it hard to sometimes sit there and listen to someone teaching on um, the things of the faith when they haven't walked in the shoes of, you know, of real work? Like, I'm, I'm kind of wondering about that. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's difficult in one sense. So what I hope for from a pastor is someone who can help shepherd me into the, the the practical things of living a Christian life, right? Who can can, can take my interior life, the, the the things of my thoughts and my my emotions and my spirit, and help order them rightly, help help set them in order in a holy way so that I can go out and live a life of holiness in whatever context or sphere that I find myself in. And a, a lot of a lot of theological training and a lot of pastor development and formation happens, as we know, in seminaries and and in in the, the academy, which isn't wrong. And I think the I think the the need for intelligence and um, cognitive formation and this this academic acumen it's necessary like I, I I would not want less than knowledge from a pastor right um, but I think most of us oftentimes want more 
Um, and I, I think a good pastor over time is going to depend on the people in their congregation to help bring their experiences in, you know, just through sharing, um, not to use like a, a buzz phrase, but, to, but through sharing life with my pastor over the course of months and years, um, they, because they most often are in an academic situation before entering the pastorate, um, they don't have these life experiences. And so they depend heavily on us. Uh, the people who are out in in the I don't want to say out in the real world as if the church is fake somehow, but those of us who are out in the field in our various occupations and vocations to bring those experiences and those circumstances to them. And they actually learn from us. They they are in the position of being the student um, of the what I'll call the laity, the, the non-ordained people Um to, to learn from and, and glean from our experiences so that they can then try to square those things or understand those things through a theological lens, through a pastoral lens, and then return to us uh, to, to, to help shepherd us in a, in a good and an effective way. And I also think that the, you know, for Christians, our core activity, in, no matter what we are doing, no matter what occupation we find ourselves in, the point of our existence is to be with God. And prayer is is that. And so the pastor's job primarily is to teach us how to pray. I don't think that gets talked about a lot um, or certainly not often enough. And um, so it, more, more even than me looking for practical advice from my pastor on what I should do um, in, on this or that job, uh, I want my pastor to teach me how to pray so that when I'm on my job, I can be with God and depend on God's presence with me to teach me what I should do in those moments. Hmm. Um, you're, you're like my new favorite person. I, it's not like, you know, it's not like that's displaced another favorite person really, but I, um, I, I already like you a lot. And so, um, yeah. So first of all, thank you for being so genuine. Um, so prepared with, you know, what Peter would call a ready defense for the hope that's within you. Um, Mm. thank you for the time that you clearly spend, um, not only with the Lord, but with the Lord's people, um, both now, but also historically over time, you see yourself as, um, you know, as a part of this like long, uh, long stream of uh, of Christians over time who have learned this intimate connection between real work and and the real labor that it is to um, to be an active disciple of the Lord. And so I genuinely appreciate it. Um, I hope you'll come back. I hope we can talk again. I'd love to. Yeah, whenever it's convenient for you, you just There's let more me know. to plumb. Oh, there's more to plumb. There there are so, so, such deep depths uh to, that we can plumb here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like the book is going to be, you know, like plumbing the depths with Nate or something. Well, yeah. Maybe so. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll see what the publisher says about that title, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Um blessings on you as you you know, go forth in the name and the spirit of Christ um, to to come alongside people who are in real need of the service that you offer. And thank you so much for the labor that you do as unto the Lord. Um, we genuinely appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Carmen. I really appreciate that. I'm really happy to hear that uh, you're you're uh, on the mend. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Welcome. That's Nathaniel yeah, Marshall. Oh, yep. Yeah, thanks. We got to we got to run. That's Nathaniel Marshall. Um, he um, he's a licensed journeyman plumber. You can read more of what he has written. I wanted to be a pastor. Now I'm a plumber at ChristianityToday.com. We'll be right back. Hello, America.
So as we um, look, well, increasingly toward the end of the year, right? I mean, we just got a couple of days left. I'm wondering sort of like what's left on your to-do list. When you were thinking this time last year about where you thought you'd be at this time this year, are there things left on your to-do list? And can you still possibly get maybe even one of them done? Maybe there was a person that you knew God was calling you to be reconciled with. Has that has that happened? Have you done your due diligence in on that front? Maybe there was something in your life that God was calling you to get into order. Is it still disordered? Do you still maybe have time to go before the Lord and um, seek his face on that? Let's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, even in these waning days of 2022. Let's be people who advance the gospel. Let's be people who are all in for Jesus. What does that look like, even at the very end of the year, to be all in? What might that mean for you? Is there some part of your life you've been withholding from the Lord? If so, why are you holding that back? Let me encourage you to just go ahead and give him that at this year end. Give him your guilt. Give him your shame. Give him your disappointment or your regret. Give him your hopes and your fears for all the years and then come to a point of rest that's really the invitation i think at the end of the year let's be people who find our rest in the lord jesus really is the peace who passes all understanding and we want to be a people possessed of peace as we go forth into the world that god so loves as agents of his grace and ambassadors of his kingdom and so let me encourage you to seek his face seek his kingdom and then rest in him at the end of this year. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. We got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.